Jack here, recording poolside at the Golden Nugget in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Just one announcement this week. Uh, there's still time to get in on Zach and my World Series of Poker action. Uh, if you want to buy a piece, get a sweat, make a Just Hands approved investment, head to our Tasty Steaks profile, link to in the show notes. Uh, either way, thank you guys for listening, and enjoy this week's episode. I'm going to get back to my poolside nap. Hey, Jack. Hello, Zach. Uh, how are you doing on this lovely day in Florida? Good. Had a nice little day off from poker. Got various tasks done. Got a nice little workout in. How was your day at the, the Isle Casino? I had a good day. It's a, a really happening game for a Monday afternoon. Unfortunately, I was going to sit down in a 510 game, but I left my driver's license at the house and... By the time I got back, the 510 broke, but the 25 was excellent, uh, and it ended up being a very good day. But it's not all about us today. We have someone on the show that I think most people who have been following Just Hands for a while have encountered in some capacity. Uh, almost certainly, you've seen his work as a graphic designer. He designed much of uh, the Just Hands visuals, uh, including our current logo. But you've probably also seen him on the Just Hand stream, or you've seen him participate uh, in some of our events. We have none other than Peter O'Neill on the podcast today, at long last. How are you doing, Peter? Great. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Our absolute pleasure. Uh, so, Peter, we know you don't get to play live that often. Uh, you're mostly an online crusher. But we know at least one time in the last month that you played live poker uh, because we were there. And we wanted to talk through one of those hands with you. Uh, so you wanted to bring on a certain spot? Uh, yeah. So this is from your guys' live event, which was pretty much exactly a month ago now, right? I believe so, yeah. Um, so should I just get right into the hand? Or do you want me to talk about my general thoughts about the event real quick? Uh, whatever you think is important to the strategy of the hand. But if you want to you know, talk about your experience at the event, you know, we'd obviously love that. Yeah, um, it was a fun event. Um, in terms of reads on players, I thought at an event like this, you usually get people that are pretty solid. Um, yeah. So what seat were you in? I was in the eight seat, which is the hijack. Okay. Um, what was the preflop action? So this hand travel to four and in the hijack with nine six of hearts i decided to open 15 um you guys want to talk about that real quick yeah i mean that's reasonable but it's definitely on the loose side uh did you have a reason do you think this is a standard open for you or did you have a reason to widen your range it's on the loose side in general and um a general just might make when I play live or more passive games is I open a little bit wider because um, you're just not getting three bit as much, which is really the main kind of deterrent to open or deterrent to how wide you should open. Because um, when you get three bit, you have to fold. Just don't get to realize any of your equity. Uh, but generally, even though this was a stream with you know solid players, I, there wasn't that much three betting going on. Um, or light three betting. So I thought I could get away opening a little bit lighter. And there's a little bit of extra dead money because there is a straddle 
um, a shred on his hand. So it's on the loose side. I'm not sure if it's um, a profitable play, but it's, it's close, I think. Yeah, I think so. And and for what it's worth, the the people who watch the stream and might be saying, I saw a lot of light three betting happening. Uh, most of the light three bettors have, have folded at this point. Uh, seats six and seven in particular were the notoriously light three betters. Uh, and I, I think you mentioned they both folded. Uh, yeah, that's important to mention. When I, the, the players behind me hadn't been three betting very light. I'm not sure. I, I had to get three bet this hand, in fact, um, but I believe it was the first time I'd gotten three bet um, three hours or so into the game. So, Okay. So, yeah. You opened a 15. So, the cutoff folds, and Alad uh, on the button decides to three bet to 35. Um, pretty small three bet. It fold The blinds and the straddle fold. And only having to call 20, I think, peeling is okay. And we're, we're pretty deep this hand. We, I think we start uh, $500 deep. So I guess not that deep because there's a straddle on, but uh, a little over 100 every blind steep. Getting a good price, I decided to take a flop. And to give you a little more credit for uh, you know calling the 3-bet even out of position, so far in the stream, a lot has played fairly tight. So I think... You know his range here is going to look like a lot like high cards and and high pairs. So, versus a more aggressive three better, I think you kind of have a you kind of have to fold. But for this sizing and against this player, I think you have a pretty clear call. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I'd much rather call a nine six of hearts than like if you would open something like queen jack offsuit. Uh, I think they're both okay, but I think. Nine six of hearts. There's going to be a lot more flops where you're going to really take advantage of him uh, with that kind of hand, which is going to be important for getting back this twenty dollars. Yeah, definitely, and that is something I noticed. I'm in a game like this. I always think that, you know, especially on stream, someone's maybe played tight for a while and they kind of start to realize that. I think it's. I believe this is the last hour of the stream. I think it's possible that people might, you know, be getting a little restless and start. You know, bringing up some light, adding some light three bets to their range. So I'm not putting him solely on, you know, value right away. But I do think that out of all the players at the table, he played either the first or second tightest, and that was definitely part of what made me like the decision to call. All right, and just just as a shout out, uh, I don't think I think some people will look at this and say. 35 was a, a really good sizing because he got you to call with 9-6 suited. But I, I think what people are missing is that the fact that you chose to call with 9-6 suited uh, means that you think you're going to get that call back, uh, which means that if you're right, he would rather have that you had folded. Uh, and so I think just generally it's better to 3-bet a little larger in position when stacks are still this deep. Uh, you don't have to make it huge, but I think even something like 40 or 45 would have made you think harder about calling here and maybe fold. Yeah, I agree. And also, if I'm calling 9-6, there are a ton of other hands above 9-6 that I'm continuing with also. So. Right. All right. 
So let's let's get to the flop. What happened and what did you do? So the flop is ace of spades, six of diamonds, and seven of clubs. Uh, I checked to a lot, which I think I don't think we should be doing any leading here. And then he decides to bet thirty-five into a pot of around eighty. Okay, uh, so thirty-five into eighty, and this is a ace high board. You said rainbow. Uh, no, two diamonds. Two diamonds. Okay. Um, and if we're calling nine six pre-flop, this is probably not the flop to fold that hand. Uh, there's gonna be a lot of other spots to fold. So I'm guessing your main decision was between maybe raising or probably just flatting. I'm wondering, do you, what does your raising range look like here? And you know, where do you think this hand belongs? So I just decided to call, I think, um, for the smaller size, I think it makes it a little bit easier, but I would probably still call this hand to a larger size. Um, I generally prefer to raise hands that um, have less sure on value and really can't profitably call. So I think a hand maybe like 10-9 like clubs or just 10-9 makes some sense. Um, kind of weaker draws that if I get 3-bit on the flop, I don't really mind folding you know you can, maybe a hand like four or five suited would i think i would probably play the same way uh eight five suited i might play similarly i think can, hands like that and i think using a hand like nine six isn't terrible just against the small sizing i i like calling yeah and that's something that i think we talk about we've talked about on the show but it's just generally the better price you have the more favorable calling becomes to your other options, raising or folding. Uh, I mean, there's definitely like, you know, when someone bets five, uh, we can basically treat that as a check and we shouldn't be folding very much at all. It definitely makes folding unappealing, but it doesn't necessarily make raising unappealing. But a bet like this, 35, is, especially when we we don't have a range advantage, uh, yeah, we should be calling a lot. And I, yeah, I think that's the right play. Yeah, I, I will say that I don't think I'm good here a ton. I think I'm good here enough to call combined with the fact I'm getting a good price. I have some equity and some back doors that will come in, but I think this kind of sizing, what I thought originally was it kind of leans me towards thinking has a hand like a weaker ace or maybe Kings, Queens, Jacks, that type of hand on this ace side board. Yeah, I would definitely think that uh, against the players described uh, what you assign for his range for betting 35 and 80 definitely makes a lot of sense. Uh, I would also, just to make it clear to the listeners, like, I think when we're calling here, I think it's definitely very close if we have enough equity against his betting range to call. I think what makes it a call is the fact that we're going to have some profitable bluffs later. So when you're calling here, you're definitely planning on bluffing certain runouts, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, if he is betting that range that I think he's betting, I think most, if not every term, will probably be checked back. And then I assume it would be a lot of runouts where... I think I can get him off those hands. So, yeah, I, I definitely think turning this on a, into a bluff on certain runouts makes makes sense. Okay, so you call, and now we're going to the turn with a pot of $150 and I guess a little over 400 behind? Yeah, around 435 behind. So what happens on the so, turn? So the turn is the eight of clubs, putting out a backdoor club draw as well. 
Um, I decided to check again, and this time a lot bets 95. So I have bottom pair and an open-ended straight draw now. Now, would you be leading this turn with any part of your range? Um, I think this can't can actually be an okay turn to do some leading on. Um, I'm not a huge proponent of leading generally, especially against a three better who will have, you know, an A-side board is usually pretty good for a three better, but on this exact turn, I think uh, a lot will check back a lot. Even if he has a hand as strong as Ace-King, I think it's reasonable to check that back, and a lot of people might. Uh, and, you know, I will make some two pairs and stuff on a turn like this. However, I I think that I just generally like playing flow unless I have a really strong reason to want to lead. So I think leading can be okay, but I also I also think checking is fine. And I just that's what I decided to check. And I don't think this is necessarily the hand to lead anyway. I think you'll have some other draws that just picked up equity, and, and those might make more sense in a lead bluffing range, since this hand has a good deal more showdown value than, let's say, something like you floated the flop with jack 10 of clubs, uh, something like that. Yeah. Uh, like king, queen of clubs, or something like yeah. that. Yeah, okay. I, I think that could make some sense. And mixing it in with some you know, strong value hands, which I will. I, I make some value hands on this turn. Two pairs, maybe, maybe a straight... Uh, set of eight, stuff like that. So I think that can make some sense because I do expect uh, this to get checked through a fair amount. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but I, I like checking. And then what what does Alad do again? I don't remember if you said. He bets 95 into, I believe it was 150. So the pot's now around 240. It doesn't seem totally consistent with the sort of weak value range we had on the flop. So are you are you thinking he's more likely to have a bluff or are you thinking he's more likely to be at the top of that range that we we thought would bet 35? Uh, I mean potentially he bets every you know every bet is a sizing 35 in this you know he he did pay to do a coaching event so it's definitely within the realm of possibility that he's the type of player who's going to use one sizing that he thinks benefits his range the best but just give me your sort of gut reaction here. So, I guess my initial reaction was that I was a little surprised that he bet, um, because I really did think that this would be a check back a lot, which you know maybe gives some more credit to working in some leads. But um, I think it's I think it's an interesting spot because it's kind of hard for the three better to have a ton of super strong hands here. Um, and it's a spot where I can have a fair amount of strong hands. And so there aren't, I don't think it's a spot where people naturally have a ton of value bets. I think a lot of the time this is a hand, maybe like ace, king, ace, queen, that, you know, bet smaller on the flop and now it's betting again, um, you know, maybe for a little bit of protection and value as there are a lot of draws out there. It could also be a hand like ace, it makes a lot of sense with, you know, what we thought about his range was on the flop, a uh, kind of weakest ace that weakest ace that is now turned to pair, and he could also have, um, you know, just a few 
bluffs mixed in there as well. I think that this is, I think that people sometimes don't think as much about their sizing when they're bluffing and we'll just kind of bet a mini-mish sizing. So I think, I think you can have a mix of stuff. Um, you know, some ace-king, maybe a few very strong hands like ace-eight, some draws. Uh, yeah, so I'm not exactly sure, but I'm a little bit surprised to see him bang this turn because naturally it's not a turn that the three better has a ton of value hands on. What do you think your equity is against his betting range here, approximately? Um, I think I think it's reasonable. I don't think he often has a hand that's stronger than one pair. He can have, like I said, a hand like Ace-8. Um, top set makes some sense that maybe to play this way. And then, you know, maybe a f- few times he has, like, 10-9 suited or something like that. But I think... I think I have okay equity against this range because I do think it's mostly one pair and a couple of times I do think I will have the best hand if he's bluffing. But I think that out of position here calling, I don't really think it can be profitable. Um, in position, I think it's a different story, but even if I make the best hand, it's really going to be very difficult to get value. And... You know, I'm not going to have an opportunity to bluff, even if a scare card comes off, unless I want to work some leads on certain rumors. If you don't want to call, I guess that leaves us with two options. And I, I think this is one of those spots that is going to be really player-dependent. There are plenty of players who are just never folding better. Uh, I mean, I mean, that's not to say they wouldn't fold a hand like 8-9 if they somehow had it. Uh, I think, you know, we're blocking 8-9, but that's like a reasonable hand to try and get to fold. But I, I think for this to be a really good bluff spot, we have to be thinking that some aces are going to fold. Uh, or that he would bet, you know, kings or queens two streets, which seems unlikely, but if so, then that those hands would fold. I think for this to be a good bluff spot. Uh, and then against the, the opponents who are never going to fold an ace or are very unlikely to fold a hand, even like 8-9 here, I, th- I think we should probably just be folding. So what's your take on Alad? You know, he's been playing tight, which means he probably has more of the ace-type hands, but it to me also means he's maybe more likely to fold those hands. And I think this is a very good card for your range. I'm guessing you didn't bring this hand on to talk about your check-all-the-flop and uh, check-fold-the-turn. No, I didn't. Um, yeah, so I, I guess I should say that I think um, if you're looking at this hand from a more general point of view, against someone that might be a little bit more prone to three-betting light before the flop, I think calling the turn can be okay. But against a lot, I think I think to call the turn properly, you have to um, think that at least a reasonable amount of time you could have the best hand against some sort of bluff and that the river might go check-check, and you could just win with a six. I think you have to think that it happens sometimes to check-call, but against a lot, I don't really think that's that's the case too often. I didn't really think he had too many just complete uh, bluffs in his range. But I do think this is a card in general that is very good for my range, but people will still bet a lot of hands that that they maybe shouldn't bet, you know, for uh, you know the ideas of protection and stuff like that, because there are a lot of draws, and I think it's very tempting to bet a hand like ace-king or ace-queen to get some protection and value from draws and then maybe check 
plan to check back some rivers. And I think that the problem with doing that is you open yourself up to getting check raised and getting put in a really bad spot with a lot of hands. So I think in general this is a good spot to decide to check raise as a bluff because people will be put in a very tough spot with a lot of hands they have. And against a lot specifically, I didn't have that many reads. I only played three hours with them, but I hadn't really seen him play too many hands, nothing noticeable. I hadn't really seen him show down any bluffs when I remember. And I just didn't think that I didn't, I didn't consider him to be any sort of calling station or someone that wouldn't be capable of folding an ace. Um, yeah, so I thought he was definitely capable of folding. And so for that reason, I decided to check raise all in. And so just to recap sizing, you went all in for about a little over 400 over a bet of 95. That's correct. Yeah, I shot for around 435 total. So it's around um, like three, 340 back then. It's like it's like a 1.3x pot bet, and I, I like that you chose to go all in here just because, you know, for you to really have any fold equity, you you need to be uh, yeah, you need to be going all in or betting at least making at least like a pot size raise, and then you don't want to have just like 50 to 120 behind. So, yeah, I think I think if you're gonna check raise all in, you if you're gonna check raise, you should be going all in. I like the sizing there. And what yeah, we're really doing here is bluff targeting aces. So, you know, I think exploitably it's fine to go a little bit a little bit larger here with our bluffs. Yeah, I agree. I definitely didn't want to, you know, raise small and then give him a good price and he kind of talks himself into calling and then, you know, I'm left with a fourth of the pot on the river that you know, I don't try to get someone to fall with a bet that small on the river. I think that just just shoving is best. And you know, I do think that targeting aces is the main value target, but I even think that uh, getting a hand even like king queen of like diamonds or clubs to fold is not terrible for us because that is a hand that has a lot of equity and if it decides to bluff river I won't be able to call so I think just getting almost any fold here is uh is good so yeah I, I think thinking about it and talking to you guys I, I think it's the best decision but it's nice nice to hear you guys thoughts yeah I think it's a really good play and I mean we're also we have a nice hedge in that when it doesn't work and we get called by ace king or when you know it would have never worked and we get called by aces or eights or not eights uh, ace eight uh, or even some other two pair it's still we still have a decent amount of equity I mean it's not what we want but having somewhere between you know normally at least eight outs and sometimes even up to 13 outs uh, is pretty nice as a, you know, insurance policy when we do get called. Yeah. I do think it's important to make sure that when you're picking bluffs, if you can pick bluffs that have equity when called. Cool. So I, I'm going to ask that you don't reveal the results, but you can let the listeners know the timestamp uh, of the video, where to find it, which we will be yeah. linking to in the show notes. Uh, but in, I believe this is session number four, part two, correct? Yes. And, and where do they, where do the hands start? Starts at, I believe one hour and 11 minutes or short, shortly after. Cool.
Okay. Well, I guess we'll all have to check out what happens at one hour and 13 minutes or 14 minutes, depending on how long he tanked for, figure out the results of this hand. Yeah. I, yeah. I know what happened. <laughs> uh, and you can too. <laughs> all right, man. Well, you know, we're not results-oriented here, so I think we can already say well played, uh, regardless of what happens. You know, even if you get snapped off by Jax, I think I still like it. Thanks, man. Peter, thank you so much. You know, publicly, we want to thank you for all you do for us. Uh, we really are happy to have you on the Just Hands team. Those of you guys who are in the Slack group, the Just Hands members, know Peter by his insightful comments, and everyone else, you know him by the logo. You'll hear more about him. Until next time, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Of course. <laughs>